Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com, register to vote, click on the Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast category where you can then vote for us to win. Now, you will have to listen to the other nominees as well, but let's be honest, you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today, which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance. Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it, and we thank you in advance. And everybody who votes for us, we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up. She's moving nicely. She's got it. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for a very special episode. The first time we've ever done one of these, an Athletes to Watch episode, as we are a day away from the Beijing Olympics. One of two episodes dropping today to really get you in the mood of these Olympic Games. And our Athletes to Watch episode is essentially a clip show. This is an episode where we're going to play clips of each of the guests who we have had on this show who will be competing at the Beijing Olympics. Kind of to bring you up to speed, remind you of their thoughts ahead of the Olympics and get you pumped for Team OTP. That's what we're calling them, Team OTP. We've got 25 guests who have been on this show who are competing at the Beijing Olympics and we're going to be cheering them on. That's, it's a country in itself, let's be honest. That is that is a lot more athletes than we've got on most countries out there when it comes to the Winter Olympics, so we're very pumped. And what you're going to hear essentially are all the guests we had on between Pyeongchang and Beijing who will be competing at the Beijing Olympics. So we've had five guests on prior to Pyeongchang who will also be competing in Beijing, but we won't be playing clips of their interviews because essentially when we talked to them it was prior to 2018, and they obviously weren't going to be talking much about 2022. So if that makes sense, there are obviously five who we are including on our Team OTP who won't be on this episode, but we'll mention them throughout this episode as well. And I will also reiterate as well, you'll hear from one guest who I guess technically is competing at the Beijing Olympics that are about to start tomorrow. He will be at the Beijing Paralympics starting in a few more weeks' time, but we'll include his snippet in this one as well. Now, I will quickly add a few stats here before we get into our first guest to bring you up to speed of who you can be cheering for over the next few weeks. Of all the Winter Olympic sports, you'll only hear not from three sports, athletes from three different sports who we either didn't have on or I, I guess really didn't have on 
between Pyeongchang and, and Beijing or won't be competing at the Olympics, if, if, if you're with me here. So those uh, three sports that we do not hear guests from are ice hockey, although technically our Paralympian is an ice hockey player. He's a sledge hockey player, but we'll get to that. Short track speed skating, because our short track speed skater who will be competing in Beijing, Charles Hamlin, we spoke to him before Pyeongchang. And the other one being speed skating, because our speed skaters who we have had on the show are unfortunately not competing in Beijing. So that's why you're not going to hear that. But all the other sports, alpine skiing, biathlon, bobsleigh, cross-country skiing, curling, figure skating, freestyle skiing, luge, Nordic combined, skeleton, ski jumping, and snowboarding. We cover all the bases here with all of those as well. So you'll hear from 19 athletes in total who will be competing at these Olympics. You'll hear from one who is an alternate for these Olympics. And of course, as I said, one who uh, ultimately is a Paralympian as well, which again, we count in the same breath because that's how it works. Let's start off with alpine skiing and Greta Small, Australian alpine skier, about to compete in her third Olympic Games and had a fantastic chat with Greta learning about her career. I remember Chupa Chups being in there, our, our love of Esther Ledecker, all that fun sort of stuff. And this was me asking Greta how she's tracking for Beijing. Of course, you'll obviously understand that the majority of these interviews were conducted in the months leading up to Beijing when qualification wasn't assured for most of these athletes. There's only really a couple of these athletes who we spoke to at the time had officially qualified. So a lot of these questions are speculation, will they qualify, how they qualify, things like that. So you'll hear this from Greta right now as I ask her how she's feeling ahead of Beijing having a few injuries, overcoming those injuries, how she was tracking, and everything else in between. This is what Greta had to say. Beijing, obviously, a couple of months away. How how are you tracking? You've obviously had a few injuries since Pyeongchang, um, but how, how are you feeling right now, Greta, and kind of what's the process now between now and, I guess, getting that ticket to your third Olympics next year? Um, yeah, so, no, I'm feeling really physically fit and, and ready to go. So I'm just working on my foundational skiing skills at the moment um, while in Oz and then so I can get over to Europe and and really hit up the next gear in, in training and in the gates. And I think a lot of people don't realise a lot of my off-season training, you know, I'm not just hitting gates and running gates all the time. You're working on your foundational skiing skills um, and those basics because that's what's going to, get you faster and get me to the next level. Um, so no, I mean, yeah, to come back to world champs in like, um, this, I was like last year, this year, 2021, <laughs> too much has happened. Who um, knows what year it is anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I think since, since about what was it? December, January, 2019, 2020, January, 2020 to now is just like blurred into the one year. Yep. <laughs> I, yeah. So no, coming back from my injury in 2019, um, that was a big sort of, I was like, no, I still, I still want to keep going. I'm not done with the sport. I, I still have a lot more to achieve and, and give. So yeah, I pushed really hard physically to come back. And I'm skiing 100% pain-free, which I'm really happy about. And so, yeah, I'm feeling really good and on my skis. So, yeah, just taking each training day and doing what I can to get to get to this season and, and show what I can and, and perform, perform well because I haven't had too many years in the last – four years where I haven't have, you know, been coming back from, from serious injuries. So, And in terms of 
between now and Beijing, uh, I'm guessing you'll you'll hit Europe, do the do the season, and then does it come down to to rankings, points, sort of? How do you book that ticket to Beijing? Um, so based on my performance at World Championships this season, um, I've I've got I'm sitting in a good spot with my world ranking. Um, so that was part of coming back from injury and getting over to Europe, even in COVID. Um, you know that was a big goal to go to the 2021 world championships in Cortina, which was my fourth world championships. Um, so with that, um, I, 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 I'm pretty, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident um, in terms of selection and it's just preparing with how I want to perform in, in the coming world cups this season to get me in a good position um, to perform in Beijing. 15th, I believe, in the combined as well at the World Champs earlier this year. So you're getting higher and higher there, Greta. Peaking, you're talking about peaking at the right time. Beijing, that top 10, it's calling your name right now. Bugger it, a medal's calling your name, Greta. Come on. Yeah, I was like, come on, top 10. I was like, mate, I'm going for a win here. (laughs) Gold medal. Uh, You know, you've got to, it's been too long. 1998 without an Alpine medal for Australia. Come on, we've got to break this duck, bring home a medal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't be still skiing if I didn't believe. I think, what was it, at watching the Tokyo Olympics a couple of weeks ago, I was so inspired. I could hardly do anything. I was watching so much TV. I think my eyes were hurting. I've never watched so much TV in my life in a row. Um, oh, what did that um, Rowan Browning was like pretty – he was like, no, mate, we're going for better than this. He's like, yep. we're – you know, we're going, we're going for records here. So I think, you know, his <laughs> attitude and like, you, you just got to, you know, you, if you can't believe in yourself and what, what you're capable of. And I think, yeah, I've worked really hard mentally as well. Um, yeah. I think that's such a big part of Alpine skiing as well, because when it comes down to it, it's, you know, it's at the speeds we're going and the turns you're doing it. Yeah. What mentally, you know, 40% technical and physical and 60% mental, so. Moving into biathlon now, Scott Gao, a Canadian biathlete, first competed in Pyeongchang, back for Beijing, and similar to Greta, asked him about how he was tracking in the lead-up to Beijing at the time of the interview, how he's feeling, how it all worked, how he would qualify, and, of course, how he's feeling ahead of what is now going to be his second Olympic Games. In terms of where we're at right now, Scott, ahead of Beijing, sort of what's what's the process now for, for qualification? I always find it unique with winter sports that often you don't know if you've qualified until literally weeks before the game. So kind of from now until February, what's the process and how do you go about confirming your spot for your second Olympics? Right. So the right now, no one is qualified. Uh, there's a few of us who have partial qualification based on good results from last season, but that's not like a done deal. And we would be, we would need to get another very good result this upcoming winter season. So we have most of the qualifying is done through the world cup circuit. There is the opportunity to qualify through what is called the IBU cup circuit, which is like a B circuit beneath the world cup. And there's multiple tiers. I mean, it gets a little complicated in that, you know, a top 10 is worth more than a top 20, which is worth more than a top 40, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, so the process is qualify for the world cup team because that's the opportunity to make the highest qualifying criteria. 
And then all you can really hope for is to race your best. And once you, once you are able to notch, I think a minimum of two top sixties, you're on the list of people qualified to go. And then from there, better results equal higher tier criteria, which ranks you ahead of other athletes and the better result you can get, the higher that ranks you within a certain tier. So make the minimum two top sixties or I think that's what it is. And then worry about getting like even better results. And then from there, uh, the qualifying period is the start of the season, which is end of November until somewhere mid January. So it's basically a month and a half, but it's almost half the racing race season of races to make the criteria. And how are you feeling ahead of that? Is it something that you, that you're confident that it's going to happen? And, and I guess in terms of, should it let's say when it happens let's be confident uh that uh how how are you feeling tracking then into what would be your second olympics i would say i am confident it'll happen i i know i could make the minimum criteria so for me it's okay well what have i been able to you know how have i raced last year how did i race the year before okay well i think i should end up at this tier pretty safely and i have confidence in that and you know barring having a really bad season or four other guys having amazing seasons. I'm confident that I could see myself on the Olympic team. So I'm trying to carry that confidence with me and not stress too much about having to qualify. And then my focus is mostly going to be how do I train right now and how do I prepare throughout the winter to be in the best shape for, for Beijing? Because I think my goal isn't to qualify for the Olympics and then sweet let's see how well i can do my goal is like yeah i'm already there so i want to do as well as i can at the olympics i think that's like the biggest difference maybe between me and some of the younger guys on the team who are just trying to get to their first one and does Um, that help given that you've had that experience already like i mean if this was say you missed out on pyeongchang and this was kind of like okay third time lucky i've got to make it there i can imagine it's a different feeling besides the fact that you've competed in one now and you feel okay i've got that behind me as you're just saying let's go and do the best i can and bring home a medal yeah, I, I would say it's an advantage because I, I'm not, I mean, I really want to go and it's, it's, I mean, it's what I've been training for basically for the last four years. So I'm not going to be super pumped if I don't make it, but it's like you kind of just alluded to, I'm not going to be absolutely heartbroken that, oh my God, I tried for three Olympics and missed all of them. It's like, okay, well, I went to one and it was an amazing experience, tried for two, unfortunately didn't happen, but I'm I, I don't know. I don't even want to think about that. I'm pretty confident I can no, make it's, it. It's, so, it is confidence. Yeah. That's, we're not saying it, that's not going to happen I think that's at all. the big thing is uh, confidence and experience is going to like give me that edge. Moving into a bobsleigh now, we've got three to bring you in this one. And it's, it's fascinating. We, we've probably had the most fun speaking to our bobsled athletes over the last 12 months. And unfortunately, along with the great chats we've had, there's been a bit of heartbreak along the way in terms of some of the athletes who unfortunately will not be competing in Beijing versus the ones who will be. The first one I'm going to bring you here, Brianna Walker, who is an absolute legitimate chance of a medal for Australia in the monobob. She has uh, multiple medals in the most recent World Cup season, previously won gold medals in the World Cup and is an absolute chance to bring Australia's first ever bobsleigh medal at the Winter Olympics. Now, Pretty much all of these, as you're going to tell, are very similar questions. We're going to start off by asking what the process is for the Olympics, how she's going to get there. And, of course, Brenna Walker was our basically our first of these interviews we did nearly about 12 months ago. So this one was quite a while ago when it came to talking to her about the process. So obviously you'll hear a little bit about the lead-in and everything when it might sound like, well, hey, that was done ages ago because it was. But stay tuned with this one because this was the Ben Waterworth long-winded task of getting 
Australia or somebody to name their sled after me so I could be competing in the Olympics. And this was the first. This is how I did it first. So this is this is our chat, Bree Walker, and again, me trying to get myself somehow into the Olympics. What is the process now between now and, and Beijing? What is the, the qualification process? How can you get that ticket booked for Beijing next year? Well, we're waiting for our new um, selection criteria from our federation that has just gone to draft with the Australian Olympic Committee. So hopefully that'll be out by the end of the month and then we will know what boxes we need to tick um, so we don't have a repeat of what happened at the last um, Olympics. But then it's just being able to um, achieve a top 20 position in the two-man and the monobob event. There is also a combined ranking now um, and I'm not entirely entirely sure of what like what number I'm assuming that will it'll be we have to achieve a top 20 spot there um and I guess if we tick all those boxes then uh, we will be able to go to we'll get a quota position and, and be able to go to the Olympics so yeah that all that process once our, our criteria comes out I'll sit down with my team and I'll be like this is what we need to achieve we need to do bup 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 and um, then, yeah, we just go forth with our off-season training and then attack for it. It must bring some confidence then given what you've achieved uh, on this season looking ahead to Beijing. Because as I said at the beginning, I'm not going to say if you make the Olympics, it's when you make the Olympics. And I can mm. imagine that going into that based on how you've just performed that you've got a realistic shot at a medal. I mean, I'm sure you don't want to get over the top and think about these things, Brie, because ultimately you've got to focus on qualifying and then you can sort of take that next step there. But I mean, is this something that you realistically believe that in little under a year's time, you could be challenging for a medal at the Olympics? Yeah. I mean, all, all I'm really focusing on is producing the best performance that I can on the day, because that's all really that I can like have impact on i can't i can't affect like how the other athletes go and and everything like that all i can do is just focus on me and produce the best results i can and at the end of the day if that results in a medal fantastic that's a cherry on top of all my hard work you know um so for me i just kind of keep it simple and focus on what i need to do and yeah, just produce the best result I can on the day. So yeah, it's it, it, those kind of things when people say, "Oh, you're hunting for a medal." Of course, I'm hunting for a medal. Like that's a that's a given for an athlete. But yeah, it's not really what my main focus is. My main focus is on me and what I need to do. Well, I tell you one thing: when you do make the Olympics, and then Channel Seven shove a camera in your face and do some ten-minute promo about your backstory and about how you're one of our biggest hopes, just like tell them no. Because because I'm telling you now, this is a it's a bloody thing Channel 7 does at the Winter Olympics. They talk everyone up to the point where if they don't win a medal, everybody gets angry at the athletes. And it's like, no, get angry yeah. at Channel 7 because Channel 7 are known for overpromoting. So I'm telling you now, Brie, just tell Channel 7 no. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually have seen that. And it's and you even I even get caught up into it a little bit. Yeah. So I was like, oh. That person didn't win a medal. Oh, that's that's weird. Like I thought that they were medal hopes, and so I get that. And so I definitely know the hype around the media and uh, and the perception it can give to I guess the general public. And and so yeah, for me it's going to be I'm just focusing on what I need to do, and I'll probably end up blocking a lot of those media outlets um, during the games because it's it's none of my business. You know, it's, I don't need to worry about what they're saying about me or anything like that. I hope. 
it's good. But um, I, I, for me, it's it's not where my focus needs to be. Do you give the sled a name and do you talk to the sled on the way down? Is it like your car, like when you get a car, you give your car a name and you talk to it if it's being shit? Do you do that with the sled? Um. A little bit. I mean, some pilots are really weird and they, and they, you know, get really attached to their sleds. I, I do a little bit. I, What's it I called? Feel really Have bad. you given it a name? Yeah. My, my two man, I've given my two man a name. It's Black Beauty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I feel really bad. Like if I've had a bad day and I've banged the sled around a little bit, I, I talk to it, but it's more of a joke, you know, like it's, it's a fun. And then my team thinks I'm a bit crazy. Nah, but it's it, it, like you do a little bit. Sometimes you've quite, come quite attached to your sled and you want to be able to work with it very well. So, yeah, I guess it comes naturally sometimes. <laughs> well, just, just a, another friendly tip. Come Beijing, you've got that green and gold monobob sled. Please mm. call it Ben because I would love to represent the Olympics in some capacity. And if I'm a sled, <laughs> I'll take it. And then that way when you win a medal, I can say that I'm an Olympic medalist because I got you down to the bottom of the, the track. All right. If if I'm painting it green and gold for the Olympics, maybe I'll name it Ben. Okay. Big Ben. Yeah, Big yeah. Ben. Take it. Absolutely. And there you go. And then that's the one time you say yes to Channel 7. I'm going to like, thanks to Big Ben for getting me to the bottom of the track. It worked a treat. <laughs> Got that gold around your neck. Love chatting to Bree. Uh, such a great chat and really set the bar high when it came to all our great chats with all the bobsled girls we had over the last 12 or so months. Her teammate... In the two-woman bobsled will be Kiara Radingas. Now, this is a great story with Kiara, of course. If you listen to the interview, basically plucked from the middle of Western Australia in the desert, had never seen snow before the World Cup season this year, and she's done well enough to qualify for the Olympics, and she will be alongside Brie in that two-woman bobsled. And ask Kiara how her mindset essentially was feeling. How How is she tracking ahead of what could be her first Olympics? What will be her first Olympics? As you'll hear me ask this question right now. How's your mind right now with that prospect that in a couple of months you you could be an Olympian? This this is something that, as you're saying, it's not something you necessarily always strive towards, but it's a very realistic possibility. I mean, how how are you feeling about that possible prospect? Uh, To be honest, I... I don't think about it that much. I don't try to think about it that much. Obviously, you need to get yourself organised. And there are a few things now that I I, um, I have to make sure that I'm organised with just to make sure, make sure that those plans can be in place. But I I think particularly for me, like um, for the Commonwealth Games trials, you know, I ha- I had to we can we finished competing on the Friday, and I didn't find out to the Monday that I didn't get selected, and and it was. Most people were pretty certain that I would get selected um, coming second at trials. And, and so to to get that taken away after you're so prepared for it was really, really challenging for me. And so I think for this, even though I know that it's, you know, a very real possibility, I don't, I don't think I'm uh, allowing myself to focus on it or get too excited about it because I'd rather get that phone call and then almost be surprised then um then hang on to it and kind of go yeah I've got this in the bag (laughs) and then something very political happens so for me I'm just focusing on what I'm doing now and and being the best that I can be like in every moment that I'm sort of I'm doing it and um, I think that's enough for me like I, I I want you know like I'm very very lucky to come in 
to this sport and into the situation that I have. And, and I've worked very hard, but I also know and acknowledge the the luck that is involved with me being able to do so well um, in such a short amount of time. So this is all an experience for me and, and anything else is just uh, icing on the cake, I think. <laughs> Gara will definitely be one of the stories of the games and I'm sure she'll definitely get a lot of publicity about her great story about getting into the sport. Now, I'm going to play a clip here from our chat with Sarah, Bl- Sarah Blazard. Excuse me. Now, uh, unfortunately, Sarah not competing as such. She's the alternate for the two-woman team and kind of talk to Sarah a little bit about the mindset of how, I guess, Bree's success really affects or spurs her and the entire Australian bobsleigh team on with the success that she has in the monobob. Take a listen to this. Does Bree's sort of success in the monobob when it comes back to the two-men, does that kind of like spur you on? You can get a bit of uh, adrenaline and momentum from her success to kind of take on how well she's doing it and put it then into when you both come together again? Yeah, for sure. Seeing Brie do so well in the monobob, um, especially when monobob is often the day before the two men races. So we get to see how well she's doing. And it's like, yeah, it's just like that little bit of adrenaline comes in and you're like, all right, let's go. She's in, she's in a good shape. Um, she's driving well, let's do this kind of thing. Um, it's great. Like I said, the day before it gets you really um, up and going for the next day when she gets a good result. And it's, I mean, it's also my teammate as well. And my friend, like, it's so good to see her doing so well in monobob as well. You just that next morning though you're not talking to each other when you do get up. That's the that's yeah. The we just we just need the time to wake up. Yeah, you just need the time to wake up before the the conversation. <laughs> hey, remember what I did yesterday? Yeah, cool. Shut up. I'm I'm still not awake yet right now. Um, so Sarah, the process now, uh, sort of with the training to the Olympics. Again, I know we talked a bit to Bree about this sort of when we had her on the show, but obviously it's a little bit closer now. So what what does it take from the point you're talking to me right now to know you have that ticket booked to Beijing? Yeah. So we have a whole season ahead of us. Um, it's like, it's not actually that long to go, but it seems like there's so much to happen before that. So our qualifying period doesn't start until season starts pretty much. Um, and then in, I'm probably going to get the date wrong, but I know Ash said it in her podcast. Is it January 16th? Um, I'll say something like that. Yes. Okay. Sure. Okay. I remember all my, <laughs> yeah. uh, my interviews off by heart, every single fact. So that sounds correct to me. <laughs> Let's yes. go with that. I might be totally wrong. Um, but yeah, so around, uh, at the end of season, pretty much we find out when we're going. So it's not actually that long. Um, but from now till then we keep training. So we have a few push camps here and there, um, before season starts in October, on the 5th of October, we head to Beijing. So we're going to Beijing to go and learn the track. We spend a few weeks there, um, learn the track, have some experience on there and get to slide there. Uh, and then at the end of October, we come back. Uh, and then we have a few weeks training just on, on tracks in Germany or in Europe, I should say. Um, and then November is when the World Cup season starts. So we have... Um, we have all of our races and that goes through until early next year. And our results from the races basically determine if we go to the Olympics or not. So we get points and then we get a ranking and then that's how we get selected. So what position, if the people are following the World Cup, like do you need to be in like the top 10, the top 15 kind of, uh, or is it regional based kind of, what are we looking out for? Yeah, it's a bit of a complicated system, um, but basically <laughs> the top uh, the top two nations get to take three sleds. Uh, so assuming that will probably be Germany um, and somewhere like Canada um, or something like that, but they get to take three sleds. Uh, and then, then there's a next chunk of people and they get to take two sleds. So 
it's a bit hard to know what kind of placings we need to get. Um, I mean, if we can kind of continue on our momentum from last season and get similar results to that, that would probably be great and probably get us through. But of course we want to improve. Um, who doesn't want to improve? So yeah, for sure. If we can get top 10 results, we should be okay. Um, I mean, for us as a team, we want to keep getting top 10 results. Um, but yeah, we're probably not really going to have an idea until I guess end of the year, start of next year on where we're actually going to be sitting and kind of if we're right on the edge and what we need to do to get in or if we're comfortably in. So it's a bit of a complicated system. It's very different to some other sports that people are in. Um, Like there's not a time that we have to get or um, we're not just selected because we're a small nation or anything like that. We're competing with all all these big teams. Um, So, yeah, just trying trying to get the best result we can pretty much. You talk about wanting to improve. I definitely want to improve as a podcast host because that's probably the third time I've asked that question to each you, Ash and Bree. But I just, you know, want to make sure that you're on. I actually want to make sure you're each on your toes so you know how you do qualify for the Olympics. That's more of a test for you yeah. three to kind of, you know. Yeah, thank you. Make sure you know just in case, like, how do I get to the Olympics again? It's kind of, uh, it's, it's going that way. Which, I mean, this is a like fascinating. Like we push a sled. <laughs> yeah, just that's it. Go a bit fast. Don't vomit. Uh, all those sort of things. Um, it, it is fascinating to me about winter sports so that it, it's always so close. Like you, you can literally be weeks away from the opening ceremony to even know if you're going when some of the summer sports know a year ahead. Like it's, it's, it's crazy to kind yeah. of think of that. I mean, is it, is it something that kind of works in a way where you thrive on that, knowing that you've always got to be at your best? You kind of can't just qualify and then not that you would want to hold back, but kind of take it away because you've got to literally be on your game right up until you then know qualify and then only weeks later you're at the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a juggling act trying to make sure we're like physically in shape for the season, but then in better shape for the games. Um, Not that we don't want to be in really good shape for the season, um, but like you've got to be able to juggle it like you really and you've got to be able to juggle each race as well. Like, yes, um, each race you want to be competing at your best, obviously, and that's every season anyway. Um, Having the games there, obviously, it's another thing that we're trying to qualify for, but I mean, I think we have enough of a drive as it is that even if the games weren't this year, we're still going to be trying to do our absolute best. We're so motivated to, I guess, like I've said, improve, do our best. Um, But then, yeah, having the games is going to be a whole nother experience. Like it's going to get towards the end of the season. I feel like tensions are going to be high. Like a lot of teams are going to be very stressful. So there's going to be that whole mental side of things as well and try not to let that get to you too much. Um, but yeah, I guess then you've got to get to the seasons and get to, sorry, get to the Olympic at the end of the season. And you're trying to peak again um, after having such a big season already. I guess that's probably the difference between us and something like athletics. Um, in saying that though, they normally all go and compete over in Europe or America just before the Olympics anyway. But um but yeah, it is a little bit different like that. But in like, I mean, we're over here, we're competing anyway. So I guess, yeah, just go on, have, an, have another race, just a lot bigger. <laughs> well, some of the, the winter athletes I've spoken to recently, we've obviously talked about the close proximity of, of Tokyo to Beijing in terms of, you know, what, six months basically between the Summer and Winter Olympics. I mean, for yourself, for Bree, like sitting down watching the Olympics, does it kind of spur you on just sort of seeing these games, how it sort of brought Australia together during the current situation and then even sort of seeing the success that Australia had during the summer games? Can you kind of build on that, again, momentum and sort of, you know, adrenaline that you're watching that and use that into your own performances? Yeah, for sure. It was super inspiring actually watching the Olympics. Um, 
I normally would wake up in the morning and the first thing I would do would be go on social media trying to find the results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really bad to go on social media first time in the morning, I know. Well, you're not talking um, to yeah, anyone. Trying to look so, at results. You know, yeah, I'm not talking straight to anyone. On it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's fine. Um, but, yeah, no, trying to do that or get on 7 Plus, trying to, like, catch up on the results and stuff like that. Um, my partner was sending me screen recordings of different races from the athletics so I could watch it in the morning, um, which was great. But, yeah, I like, it's definitely – it's inspiring, like, getting to see athletes – not only just get out there and perform, like no matter what their result was, just actually getting out there and enjoying it. Like they're doing what they love. Um, you could tell by some of the athletes, especially the ones where it was like their first games or their last games, they're just actually getting out there and doing what they love. So I think that's the best part of it for me and just enjoying their experience while also performing at their best. So yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone loves watching the Olympics. I know a lot of people kicked up a bit of a fuss about the Olympics still being held, but when it came around to the Olympics being on, everyone in Australia, in Australia loved having it on. Um, we did so well at the Olympics. Like that was such an amazing performance by Australia. So that was very, yeah, very exciting for us. And I guess a nice little warm up for the Winter Olympics, I guess I could say. And ultimately, of course, uh, Sarah going along as an alternate, not her ideal situation. Of course, everybody who wants to go there wants to make it on the team in their own right and not just be an alternate. But Sarah, they're in some capacity. And unfortunately, the, the real sad story, I think, for a lot of bobsled fans and particularly us here and Off the Podium is unfortunately Ash Werner not making the team and it's a bit of a heartbreaking story for ash because ultimately of course she helped qualify the sled back in 2018 with brie when they were ultimately cut we spoke to both ash and brie about that in their interviews about how uh, cruel it was that they were cut last minute before pyeongchang and similar situation this time around ash helped qualify a sled for these games in beijing but unfortunately was not chosen to be part of the team so heartbreak for ash and we're we're obviously thinking of ash at this time it's it's pretty difficult to essentially make it to two olympics and unfortunately not even get a gig in both of them so uh very much always got to be a heartbreak every now and then alongside the olympics and uh, ultimately that to me right now is uh, is ash Werner. so fingers crossed ash can pull it together and uh keep on going and we will see her in milan in 2026 now our next one cross-country skiing this is our most recent interview that we did with casey wright she's heading to her second olympics uh, doing a lot more events than she did back in pyeongchang fun chat with casey learning a lot more about the sport of cross-country and just her entire workload i guess here's that clip from our most recent interview that we did with casey wright but i can imagine going back to where you're saying that it was never the goal for 2018. It was always 2022. So you've kind of got this bonus Olympics in your back pocket now. So you can go into your, what is now a second Olympics, which you maybe thought might've been your first Olympics with that experience, you know what it's like. And now with additional events that you are doing this time around, do you go now into Beijing feeling better prepared, know what to expect and what then sort of goals do you set yourself when it comes to the events you are taking place in? Yeah, Jess and I were actually talking about this the other day when we were skiing and just like how much more comfortable we were feeling now going into our second games than we felt four years ago. Um, Yeah, I like thinking back then, like I was just like shitting my pants (laughs) anytime I started (laughs) thinking about like, oh, you're going to the Olympics. (laughs) And I remember, uh, you know, on the day of my first event, because we were racing late at night, um, you know, I was just kind of sitting in my room just, you know, just going like my head just like going million miles an hour I remember Alyssa Camplin walked in like how you doing I'm like not good <laughs> like all right let's <laughs> um you know and just to be on that stage where like everyone is watching and you know 
Australia doesn't usually pay much attention to us on, on our usual races and all of a sudden everyone's watching. So it's like, oh, yeah, hi, I'm here. Um, but I guess, yeah, definitely like going in now. Um, I think, you know, as well as having that experience from, from Pyeongchang and, you know, over four years, I feel like I'm a much more mature athlete than I was back then. So, um, you know, kind of feel like a lot more I'm able to take in my stride. And I definitely think that once we get there and I'm on race day, the nerves will start coming back again. But um, hopefully I have a bit more of experience now to be able to uh, not let them get as, get, get as much to me as, as they may have had in the past. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's invaluable the experience that we had, um, you know, from, from one games and, um, you know, a really close family friend said to me the other day that, you know, he always thinks that athletes do better like their second world championships or world junior championships. So he's like, all right, well, you're at your second Olympics now, so there's no excuses. You just got to go for it. So, <laughs> go um, for it. So, yeah, thanks, Keebs, for that one. <laughs> um, no excuses, it's just got to be better. <laughs> now, when it comes to these games, one of the most exciting prospects I have as an Australian is the fact that we are making our debut in curling. And at the time of you listening to this episode, we have already made our debut in curling. Of course, Dean and Tali, Dean Hewitt and Tali Gill, hit the ice yesterday at the time of releasing this in their very first match. So they've already created history by the time you are listening to this. But we spoke with Dean Hewitt and Tali Gill several months back. They were one of our first ever guests we had on in the lead up to these Olympics and really talked them about what it would mean to the country of Australia and the sport of curling if they were able to qualify. Ultimately, they have qualified. And let's be honest, Australia going a little bit curling crazy right now with seeing an Australian team in the Olympics. It's very, very exciting. And this is how Dean and Tali answered that question. Kind of going back to what we're talking about before about the exposure of the sport after your fourth place in the World Championships, what would it mean to the sport in this country if you guys qualify for the Olympics? Because it would be groundbreaking. Again, Australia never competed in, in the sport. I mean, Dean, back to your point before, is it kind of a case of that exposure would all of a sudden open up doors and potentially really help boost the sport in this country for the, for the next decade or so? Oh, it'd be massive. I mean, every Olympics, um, there is a little increase in curlers across the country. But I think if we can actually get an Australian team there, that'd be absolutely huge. I mean, um, in terms of coverage for a sport during the Olympics, curling has the most amount of coverage out of any sport. Um, we cover the whole Olympic period plus more. We actually start before the event even begins. So, um, yeah, the amount of coverage that we could get and the support from that to hopefully, you know, boost our numbers, but also some more training times at the current locations we have. But also on top of that, hopefully be able to get a dedicated curling rink. Um, we've seen how much that's boosted New Zealand and a lot of those countries around the world which were in the same situation as us without the dedicated curling ice. And that's just um, improved their numbers and their results exponentially. Tali, and for yourself, I mean, kind of going on what Dean was saying, I mean, I could imagine uh, for your mum that would be a pretty proud moment after having uh, watched it on TV and the Olympics all those years ago to get into the sport to all of a sudden then seeing her daughter potentially represent her country at the Olympics. I mean, I'm not trying to sort of talk this up to the point now where it's all the pressure, but I'm I'm just saying that would be an amazing moment, I can imagine, for your mum should that happen in December. Yeah, yeah. I think even after we got um, fourth at the Worlds in 2019, that was just huge. I was, <laughs> I was 
my sister also plays curling, so we're sort of in a little um, in a women's team together. And I just remember being on the phone crying to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I would be very emotional, and I think you know just to have that achievement, it would just be it would it would be huge for Australia. And um, yeah, I think our parents, having been in the sport for so long, would just be just so proud. I feel like they're already proud of us anyway. But I'd hope um, so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean if they're not then yeah, we no, might have to have words are. with them you know uh kind of what, what, what's going on there so so pumped to see just how well tali and dean will do and as i said the whole country of australia going curling crazy right now so i'll uh, be sure to tune in to their games before the actual opening ceremony because they've still got a couple more to go before the opening ceremony because the mixed doubles curling does start a little bit early so uh let's get on the team that is dean and tali moving on to figure skating now we've got two guests both uh non-australian Australians here, Eric Radford and Jason Brown. So we have a Canadian and an American. We did have uh, previously spoken to figure skaters from Australia, two of whom will be competing in Beijing in both Kalani Crane and Brendan Kerry. But of course, we interviewed them way back before Pyeongchang, hence why you won't be hearing from them in this little snippet. But starting with Eric Radford here, Colin joined me for this chat. And at the time when we did this, it wasn't fresh off the presses at that point that Eric Radford had come out of retirement and had basically formed a new partnership. He's a, an Olympic gold medalist. He's a gold, silver, and bronze medalist, actually, Eric. Very successful Canadian figure skater. And a bit of controversy in the fact that he had retired and then formed a new partnership with somebody who he hadn't competed with previously, which caused a bit of controversy in the Canadian figure skating circles. Let's hear how he answered this question and exactly what happened with Eric. Not necessarily we're breaking news here. I mean, it, it's kind of a big deal, and there's a lot of people talking about it, but... Uh... The, the retirement, it's, uh, I guess, officially <laughs> over now. You, you're back. Eric Radford's back on the map, and he's getting ready for Beijing. Uh, you you want to tell us a little bit about, I guess, your decision to uh, to come out of retirement? Was it uh, the appeal of you want to go back to the Olympics because you, know, you have a new partner as well now, Vanessa James? So uh, did you just sort of meet her and realize, hey, we might be able to do something interesting together? How did, how did that all happen? Um. It, it all it all kind of started just uh, for fun. Vanessa and I were doing this TV show called Battle of the Blades, where figure skaters and hockey players team up and compete against one another here in Canada. And uh, we did like a stroking pattern. This was two years ago. This was in 2019. And that was the first time we saw ourselves skate with one another. And we were like, wow, we look really, really good together. Um, and then at this past, uh, after this past uh, in 2020, Battle of the Blades, uh, Vanessa was already in Canada, so she came to Montreal and she skated. We skated together for, I think, two two sessions. Um, but we could kind of see that there was something there, like the way that our bodies matched in our lines, and there was a very natural match there um, that usually takes years for teams to develop. And I think that was what kind of sparked the idea of, oh, like let's maybe skate together and. Um, at the beginning, I was thinking maybe it would just be for shows because Vanessa had uh, contacts for shows in Europe that Megan and I never had and we never got to do. And uh, then Vanessa came uh, back up uh, like three weeks later. And after five days of skating together, we were able to do a throw triples and a triple twist, which is normally like a triple twist took me and Megan about six months to learn. And that was when we were like, wow, I think we could be, this could be something, like this could be something special. And one of the main reasons that 
I really made the decision to come back was the way I feel when I skate with Vanessa. And, you know, Megan and I, our, our strength was our technical. And, you know, we achieved amazing things and we did things that no other team could. And we accomplished incredible results with that side of our skating. And with Vanessa, I feel like it's, it's the, it, I just have like flipped the card over and now it's like the artistic side. And for me as a skater, I feel like my range has been opened and I get to express a whole lot more and in different ways and different dynamics and on different levels uh, that I just, I didn't think I would ever get the opportunity to do that. And <sighs> you only live once, you know, this opportunity was, has manifested right before me without putting too much thought or energy into it. And I decided to run with it. It's, I would have to imagine that after essentially a decade of skating with one person and you're at the highest level and you've come home with all these medals, I mean, it, it must be it must be kind of unusual at first just to think, to wrap your head around, okay, I'm going to actually skate with somebody else. But then, so, so was it really just the chemistry that you had with her that was sort of the deciding factor? And did you ever think you would have that chemistry with another partner again? No, like I, I really did not expect to be <laughs> trying to skate for another Olympics. Like I would have never, ever, ever imagined it. Um, but like I said, I, I feel like it's like a one in a million or like a one in a billion chance that everything fell into place the way that it needed to. And that like Vanessa and I's style and our, just our energy in general matches so well. I think it's incredibly rare and that's again, part of the reason why I think that we needed to take this opportunity and, you know, at least give ourselves the chance to show the world what we might be able to accomplish together. You mentioned relating it to sort of a, a relationship before when you are in, in pairs, is that an awkward phone call then when you ring up me and you're like, Hey, FYI, I'm just uh, <laughs> trying for another, another, <laughs> you might, you might see this on the news. Uh, kind of, how does that phone call go? <laughs> it, it was, it, it was awkward. You know, it's like, um, it's a little, it's like breaking up with somebody in a way. Um, and it's, it's a strange sort of relationship because we don't, we're, it's not like a real relationship where we like, we owe each other anything. Like we decided to retire. Um, we were planning on doing shows, you know, with kind of as long as possible. But, you know, in the end, it's, it's my life and my career. And I haven't signed any sort of, contract stating that this is like i'm legally bound to do this so you know and i i knew that it wasn't going to be an easy conversation that it probably wasn't going to be an easy process and but like i said i i only live once and i i'm not going to stop my life and not pursue something an incredible opportunity uh like this and, and what are the steps that you're going to go through now before you know for sure that you and vanessa have made beijing so the team is normally decided at the uh, Canadian Championships, which will be in January, just before the Olympics. So we won't know if we've made it until then. Uh, but right now, we just want to get out and compete as much as possible. We have a competition coming up in four weeks here in Montreal. It'll be our first international. Uh, then we'll do one other smaller international. Then we go on to the Grand Prix circuits. So it'll be a, kind of a competition every three or four weeks from now until uh, Beijing. And we've 
<laughs> like we've done it before. We kind of know, like you build, you compete, you see what works well, what didn't work well, you make changes and you slowly kind of polish the program in hopes that it'll be at its peak for the Olympic Games. Further south of Canada is a little country called the United States of America. May have heard of it. And we spoke with Jason Brown, a US figure skater, going now to his second Olympics. And, uh, of course, going into this, a Olympic bronze medalist narrowly missed out on making the Pyeongchang team in 2018. This could have been his third Olympics, but has officially made it. At this time of this interview, he hadn't officially made it, but we needed to find out a little bit from Jason about how he was tracking at that point. Jason, such a fun guy to chat to, great personality, very fun person to witness in figure skating and to talk to. He's definitely one to keep an eye out during these Olympics, but this is what Jason said when he spoke to us. Bit of a busy time, I can imagine, for you right now, Jason. We're, we're so close to uh, the Beijing Olympics where we can just sniff it. It's, it's around the corner. I mean... How how are you going right now? How are you feeling? I mean, are you there? Are you are you going to Beijing? Do you know yet? Kind of like what what can you tell our listeners straight away to to know if we can be watching you very shortly at the Olympics? Yeah. So in figure skating, the team is announced about three and a half weeks before the Olympic Games, which is so wow. crazy at our U.S. national championships. So we will find out this uh, in 2022. We find out in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where they're hosting um, our championships. We don't call it a trials per se because there's still a selections committee that will decide the, you know, the official team, but it's the first week of January. But speaking on kind of getting into that Olympic spirit, I'm actually, I flew in yesterday back to Toronto from an Olympic photo shoot um, with NBC and the U S Olympic committee. So it was just, so (laughs) talk about the spirit and the energy and kind of just feeling like it's all, you know, ramping up. Uh, it was, it was really, really awesome. And definitely I'm fired up for this week of training. Did did you do any shoots with puppies this time around? I think you did some, uh, a couple of years ago, didn't you? In the lead up to Pyeongchang, there was an NBC puppy shoot. Are they doing that again for Beijing? We did not. Um, maybe maybe it was, you know, part of that COVID protocol, you know, following maybe, you know, puppies didn't make the cut with, you know, how do you test a puppy? No, I don't know. But um, it was really fun to do those shoots with them four years ago. Yeah, that's the damn thing about the pandemic. No puppy shoots. That's uh, that's very disappointing. Best of luck to Eric and Jason. They're genuine metal prospects, of course, in their uh, events. Obviously, the pairs and the uh, men's solo and the team events too. Always keep an eye out for Canada and Team USA in those events. And as we should say, big uh, good luck goes towards Brendan Kerry and Kalani Crane as well from the Australian perspective. If you want to hear snippets of their chats in previous best of, of course, we spoke to them way back before Pyeongchang. Both of them going to their second Olympics as well. So, uh, best of luck for them brendan's third olympics as well i should say so uh best of luck to both of them and from an australian perspective we always do love watching them compete now freestyle skiing here's another one where we have had prior guests on who won't be appearing in this one i will mention sammy kennedy sim uh great chat we had with her way back before pyeongchang one of my favorite interviews i've ever done she's going to her third olympic genuine medal prospect as well as sammy she's been in great form heading into these olympics as well so you won't hear from her in this one but again go back to prior to pyeongchang you can track down our great chat we had with sammy all those years ago one person that we did also speak to back before pyeongchang but who we've actually had on since as well 
is the great Brett Cox. Now, at the time of recording this, Australia has not announced the flag bearer, and I'm assuming by the time we release this, they have announced the flag bearer. So I guess in today's episodes that you'll hear this one and our Beijing preview episode, that we might not have had the official confirmation who the flag bearer is. And my prediction right now, I'm saying this now, and if you're going to hear it in a moment in our preview episode, if that hasn't been announced that time, I'm calling it. Britt Cox should be our flag bearer going into this. Her fourth Olympics for Britt Cox. And just an absolute legend of mogul skiing. One of the, the greatest mogul skiers of all time. Unfortunately, he's never had that being able to translate into the Olympics. So at a fourth Olympics, fingers crossed, you can finally get that elusive Olympic medal. Colin joined me for this one. Colin's obviously a big moguls fan. And brought up the conversation when it came to, I guess, finding out what she thinks about some of her rivals. And if she's not going to win a medal... Are there certain athletes that maybe she doesn't want to see win medals? I, I have a question just as a fan of the sport. Uh, you know, I, I would assume everybody's friendly. I mean, you know, you're all competing against each other, but, you know, you said you know, Andy Naughty, you, you love her and everything. Uh, but when there are skiers like Mikel Kingsbury and Perrin Lafont who don't seem to ever give up that, that yellow bib. <laughs> is there a small part of you or Matt who's like, you know what, as long as it's not them, like look, somebody take them down for at least one week. I mean, I can't speak for Matt, but for myself, it's, you know, she's an incredible skier and she's had some amazing results. So kudos to her. And um, she's definitely, definitely got a massive target on her back going into these games. But for me, I think my sporting pursuits have always been really personal about um, being the best skier that I can possibly be. And um, I definitely want to be be on top and be the winner. But I don't, I, I guess I don't really um, look to other people and go, oh, I want to beat them. It's more about, okay, I want to be the best that there is in general. So um, yeah, that's that's really about my, my take on it. And, and just out of curiosity, how, how are you feeling going into Beijing compared to how you felt going into Sochi or Pyeongchang? Yeah, um, in a different position again. Uh, I, I don't have that kind of pressure and, and weight on my shoulders that I had for the last games, I guess. Um, and talking to Elisa the other night, she sort of asked me the same question. And I said, well, you know what? It's kind of like, I feel like I have nothing to lose. So I just want to make the most of having um, a healthy body and a massive passion for the sport and determination to ski the best I possibly can. And I'm really motivated motivated by doing new tricks and um you know, and, and ticking those boxes and those goals. And um, yeah, I just want to go out there and, and make the absolute most of it because these these experiences are unique and um, who knows how much longer my body can do this for. So I'm really excited. It's going to be very different this time around with all the COVID protocols and, and not having my family there. But um, yeah, I, I want to make the most of the opportunities that I've, I'm being given. Many fingers and toes crossed for Brit there going into the games. And speaking of fingers and toes, I don't really need to cross them for our next two guests. Two absolute genuine medal prospects here in a sport which Australia owns. We are the greatest nation in the history of women's aerial skiing at the Winter Olympics. Danielle Scott and Laura Peel. Danielle Scott and Laura Peel both going for their third Olympics. Now, Danielle Scott, again, one of these ones that we actually spoke to many, many months ago, one of the first ones we spoke to in this cycle, and spoke to Danny about her prospects going to Beijing for her third Olympics, and also a little bit about the camaraderie in the freestyle skiing team, of course. Lots of different disciplines when it comes to freestyle skiing, but uh, it's, the, it's the one sport that Australia always goes into with genuine medal prospects, no matter what Olympics it is, and this is 
what Danny had to say about that. I guess my next question, Daniel, is is how are we tracking now for Beijing? Kind of what what is the plan now between now and Beijing? Uh, the, is there an upcoming season? Sort of the qualification? Sort of what is the process now for you to get to your third Olympic Games in a few months' time? Yeah, it's really not that far away. Um, we are still on track. Like I, I feel for the Tokyo guys who you know, had to postpone for that year, it would have been really tough planning. Um, but for us, we are still on track and I started qualifying with everybody else, uh, last season. So getting that, uh, podium in D Valley and, and just world championships experience and that kind of thing. Um, that's the start for us. We will have a bunch of events before February next year that counts as qualifying. Um, so no one's guaranteed to go at this stage. We, we'd all have to qualify, and it's just building from there pretty much. So, yeah, February's just around the corner and <laughs> let's hope that we, you know, COVID doesn't get in the way anymore. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Is it a case of, because I know in some of the, the winter athletes I've spoken to, sometimes you might not find out you're qualified until like a week before the Games, essentially. Is it a similar thing for, for aerials that it can be that late until you know when you're qualified for Beijing? Yeah, it, it's pretty funny like that because um, I think Brittany Cox, her first Olympics, she didn't actually know she was going until two weeks out. So wow. she's just this youngster at 15 being like, oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm skiing well, like everything's going good. And then suddenly like pack your bags like you're going and it's just <laughs> like, whoa, like everything happens so quickly. So, yeah, you could be... Um, not knowing until literally two weeks before, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and are there are there quotas when it comes to say Australian athletes? So can can Australia send as many as qualify, or is it a case of it's capped at maybe two or three sort of skiers per country, something like that? Yeah, so it's worked out in the disciplines. Um, each discipline can have a maximum of four athletes per country, but that's also spread across like the freestyle, which is moguls, ski across, aerials, half pipe, all that kind of thing. Um, so depending on how good the country is in freestyle, that'll determine um, how many spots you get. So, you know, aerials might get four, but um, ski across might only get one and, and things like that. So it's still pretty competitive within each country um, because people like Canada, they their athletes have qualified, but their country just didn't have enough spots to go. So yeah. to see miss out for that reason is, yeah, pretty frustrating for them. We, we had uh, Andy Naughty on the show a while back and she talked about, I think, her first Olympics she could have gone to. She was like the fifth best uh, mogulers in the world, but because Canada only had four spots, she couldn't go. Um, so it was kind of something crazy <laughs> like that where it's sort of, you know, you, you can't make it because uh, other people in your country are – are that good essentially what's the what's the camaraderie like amongst sort of just the freestyle skis in general so i mean are you are you sort of close with people like brick cox maddie grain like people like that who are kind of you know in the same banner but obviously doing something a little different i can imagine with the new facilities you've got going in queensland at the moment that you're all training together a lot more so uh, i can imagine you guys are all very close Oh, yeah, it's so good. Um, the Mogul team is probably the closest team that we have uh, because we share that water ramp, which is cool. So Matt and I will go for a surf or Britt and I will go for a mountain bike and things like that, which is which is awesome because as aerialists, we are direct competitors. It is an individual sport. So to be close with the Mogul guys who aren't necessarily those direct competitors is um, really fun. <laughs> and it comes to bona fide medal chances, maybe our best medal chance at these Olympics, Laura Peel two-time world champion, Crystal Globe winner, just an absolute dominant force when it comes to women's aerial skiing. Also in her 
third Olympics alongside Danielle Scott. To put into prospect, I will say that uh, both of them have appeared on the podium together multiple times in the most recent World Cup season. So really keeping an eye out for these two going into Beijing. But I spoke to Laura again a couple of months ago, prospects going into Beijing, how she was feeling and talking about, I guess, hitting a straps, hitting a form heading into an Olympics when it comes to making sure she's peaking at the right time. Added to that, though, obviously the World Championship again earlier this year to be two-time world champion, to, to win it all in the same year. I mean, it's obviously a lot about hitting your peak in an Olympiad to kind of get there towards an Olympic Games. I mean, are you feeling right now that you can't do anything more, really? You're, you're, in, those, you're in that peak that this is where you are meant to be going towards, towards an Olympics in this form that you are carrying right now. Yeah, winning the world championships earlier this year was definitely the highlight of my career. So we actually have a little bit of a different competition format for the Olympic Games and for world championships. So we don't actually get to practice that format too often. Um, It's different in all the World Cups. Um, So to be able to, yeah, pull off my best performance when it really mattered in the world championships and with that format and, um, you know, I, along with one other girl, we had the highest degree of difficulty in the competition. So something that I'm really proud of. And um, I, I guess I don't feel like there's not more that I can do. I think there is more that I can do. So I guess that's what keeps me going in the sport. I want to see how far I can get and and how far I can push myself. And there's there's a lot of girls right there alongside me with, with amazing skill levels. And, yeah, so like I said, I can't get complacent. Got to, you know, head down, bum up, keep working keep going towards the goal and and what do you what is kind of the process now between now and and, and beijing sort of what, what do you have to do to, to book that ticket officially to your third olympics mm-hmm. so it all depends um on rankings and things like that so our final qualification world cups will be in january this year i think and um yeah then we'll find out officially not long before the games um so we've got about another month training on the water ramp and then in early October we'll head to snow. We'll be training on snow until the first World Cup of the season in early December. We'll have about five World Cups and then it'll be the Olympic Games and I feel like it's just around the corner really. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous how quick it's sort of uh, coming about there too. But, I mean, not only the mood amongst yourself and, and with the aerial team, but, I mean, just the freestyle team in general. Obviously, Maddie Graham took the, the World Cup as well. So, I mean, kind of what, what is the mood yeah. like just, just amongst everyone right now heading into an Olympics with all the sort of the success that is coming off that and, and feeding off the Tokyo Olympics? I mean, there just must be so much energy amongst everyone right now. Yeah, it's interesting because we're all like a little bit separated Um, especially with all COVID, we all did um, manage to get together the winter sports community at at the end of April this year. And and we weren't able to do that the year before because of COVID. So it was pretty cool to have everybody in one room. And and we've always been a a reasonably small team, especially if you compare it to the summer games. But I think that's something that makes it pretty special. You know, you're pretty tight knit. Um, You get to know all the other athletes and a pretty powerful team considering how small we are. So yeah, it's exciting and I think you feed on other people's success. You know, you see people doing well in other sports and and you know them or you're friends with them and that spurs you on to keep pushing. And, yeah, it's just a really great community to be a part of. Everything cross for Danny and Laura and Britt there, of course, and, of course, as I mentioned, Sammy, of course, who we did speak to many, many years ago. 
Ice hockey, not on the agenda here. Great ice hockey chats we had. Uh, Sammy Jo Small, uh, fantastic chat we had with her. Uh, I highly recommend going back and listening to that one, of course. But you will hear from Jack Wallace, a sledge hockey player, very, very shortly as well. Moving into Luge, Alex Falazzo, who is going to his third Olympics. And when we spoke to Alex, he was actually in Beijing and was there to do some test runs for the track. So we found out from Alex a little bit about his initial impressions of the track and how he thought that would help him going into his third Olympics. This is the the Beijing track that you hope to be sort of competing at the Olympics. And is it sort of a, a case now where there's a lot of people right now there testing it out, kind of checking it out? Or are you sort of in a unique position where you're able to do that at the moment? No, so the entire Luge community flew over from Frankfurt on a charter flight and we've been here for five days now testing out the new track and um, just getting to know it as best we can before the Olympics in February. We have, we have three weeks here. The last week is an international um, race. It's the first World Cup of our season, so... It's nice to have the first race of the year in China and then the last race of the year at the Olympics also in China. So, Kind of nice bookends there. What What are the initial impressions like of, of the track? I mean, kind of is it something that's suited to, to your style, Alex? Are you, are you enjoying it? Uh, I've had uh, 12 runs so far. I am, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it's, it's completely different to any other track in the world mainly in the way that the profiles are built so open. So on most loose tracks, the, uh, the corners come up on such a angle that you get planted into your sled. Like the G force pushes you into the sled and you can feel the pressure around curves, but this track is, um, the corners aren't so steep. So you're, um, it's hard to feel where the steers are on the, uh, in the corners. So yeah, there's not much pressure to work against. So learning the track has been a bit more difficult if you're not a um, slider that usually relies on feelings on the way down. But, um, you know, it's super long. And I had my first, like, clean run today without a skid and um, any walls. And that's, that's saying a lot because everyone is, everyone is just eating shit at the moment. So it's, um, it's going well. I mean, I've really the – first, the first day just – it blew everyone away. It just felt completely different. We're like, Oh my God, what, what is going on? You're like, I can't figure this out. And then, um, you know, we just slowly piece it together from the top. Okay. We need to do this. You know, we need to steer against the pressures to actually get the feeling into the sled rather than, you know, just try to lay back and um, absorb the, the pressures going into curves it's uh, we found that you actually have to steer to feel the pressures, which is an interesting way of sliding, but um, it's becoming to feel more normal the more we do it. Which I can imagine that going into something like that, it kind of creates a level playing field, I can imagine, because again, you're all sort of trying it out for the first time. So you're all able to experience what you're saying there, you know, from, from the best guys in the world to the, say the, the newer guys in the world that you're able to experience that and create that sort of more of an even playing field while you're getting to learn it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty sweet in that sense that this is truly like, especially the first few runs, it just comes down to pure instinct sliding abilities and takes a lot away from, you know, sled setup and, experience on tracks it's just how how you're able to get it down the hill 
you know, without knowing every, cause you know, you go over, you go over to Germany or Austria or, you know, Russia and they, the Russians and the locals know the track inside and out. And it's, we're always playing catch up in those locations, but come to a new track, everyone's on the same playing field and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's also, I guess, going to a country where the sport isn't exactly a, a common sport. You know, you're mentioning the European nations there where it's very big, but I can imagine Pyeongchang might've been a similar case and now going to China where luge isn't exactly the, the household sport of that country. So it, I can imagine creates something a little bit different. Whereas you're saying if it's in Germany, the Germans are maybe going to create a, a track that is maybe a little bit more suited to their riders. Yeah, that's right. And luge is, is, is different in the way that it's, it's quite a big learning curve where like the Chinese athletes have had probably, you know, close to a thousand runs since the track has been built. And, um, they still can't get it right because they don't have the experience, the years of experience that the rest of us have. It's, um, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of years to, to get this sport and to, it's, I mean, it's so different, right? Like lying down on your back and steering with your feet and your hands and your shoulders and, it's just different to anything else. And, um, and it's so precise. I mean, our steels are are sharp. So every, every steer you make is, is going to point you in the direction that you, you know, steer it towards where, you know, compared to, um, you know, bobsled and skeleton, they have more round, they have rounder steels. So they, um, they don't really grip into the ice as much. They can steer in pressures, but they, when they're on, you know, on straight, on straightaways and when they are in pressures, they can't get under the steers as well as we can. And that's why I think the learning curve is so huge in, in luge. Moving into arguably my favorite sport of the Olympics, the great Nordic combined. And we spoke with an American legend of the sport, Taylor Fletcher, about to go to his fourth Olympic games. And as you were here, finding out the process when it comes to going to the Olympics, how he's tracking everything along those lines, and also talking about the prospects of Team USA backing up their great performance from the Vancouver Olympics to see if they can bring home some medals. Never had medaled in Nordic combined, had the US, and they had a fantastic Vancouver Olympics where they brought home multiple medals. And of course, Taylor was part of that team, I should say, back in 2010. But unfortunately for Taylor, wasn't able to be part of any of the medal winning teams. So we speak to Taylor a little bit here about the prospects of Team USA returning to the podium and bringing home some medals in the great sport of Nordic combined. How, how are you tracking right now? Kind of what's the process between now and Beijing to get you to a fourth Olympics? And, and how are you feeling ahead of that possibility? So I want to take another step back you know we talked about the process going into pyeongchang um those years sucked they were great in one sense i had a, a beautiful girlfriend that i i loved um but they were terrible as my father was dying my stepfather got into a, a bike crash was almost killed and nearly paralyzed and then shortly after that that girl, you know, stepped out of my life. So I was in turmoil. Um, so, you know, I looked at what I was doing and said, I need to make a change. And I got a job. I was a sports performance trainer at um, my current job at Athletic Republic. 
Um, we train youth athletes and I looked at what I was doing in the sport and said, I need to have fun. I need to enjoy what I'm doing. The results will come, but you need to find that enjoyment first. And I started to find that, you know, I lost my father in, in September of 2018 and I was able to, you know, ski that year and in memory of him, have fun doing it. Um, so that would have been the winter of 2018, 2019. And then I was going to retire and I sat down and was like, I'm having way too much fun. I got to keep doing this. And four years down the road, I'm still here. And, wow. and you know, I've, I've made some pretty big changes in the last couple of years. Um, you know, especially as this pandemic hit, um, my role as a trainer changed into, uh, marketing and, and sales with the same company. So I work 40 hours a week. I have, you know, a career that's starting to actually go in the direction that I, I really want it to. And I'm, going through the right motions and, and trusting this plan, trusting what my coaches have to say and taking each day by day and building that into each week. And, you know, we're counting backwards from the Olympics to where we are now. And I would say we're, we're in the right direction. I mean, this team that we have now is so much better than it was two, three years ago. Um, you know, we've got Ben Loomis and Jasper Good, who are not only, you know, some of the older athletes on the team, uh, you know, they're still young compared to me, but they're the part of the National Guard. They took kind of a, a jump to find that that freedom and that support to be able to do this. And they're having huge success now in the in in the training. And they're actually making these gains that, you know, back in 2010 when we got on the team we're almost automatic and we've had to work our asses off to get to them. But, you know, if I look at any team, okay, we're not having those world cup wins and podiums like we used to, but the progress that we're having is some of the best I've seen in a long time. Yes. There's athletes that make insane strides year after year, but not a single one of those teams went from a million dollars plus in a budget to, you know, $40,000. So I think uh, you're going to see some good success from USA Nordic this winter. Um, and you're going to see quite a bit of, of, you know, fun had by our team. You know, we have such a good camaraderie with our, our teammates and our organization that it's hard to beat. So, so we're, we've got a sniff at looking at you guys to, to add to those four medals from Vancouver. Is that, is that a realistic possibility that you can look at thinking that you could podium in Beijing? I think it's very possible. Uh, um, I think it's, is it an automatic by any means? No, but looking at myself, for instance, one of the strongest skiers on the, on the circuit. If I have a good jump, I'm in that fight. Um, yes, there's a lot of things that need to happen. You know, I need to fix some, you know, the, 
the weight needs to be lighter. The, the in run needs to be better. My power on the ski jump needs to be a little bit better. Those have gotten better through the year. Um, you know, I just got done with the training camp the last couple of weeks where it was some of the best jumps I've had in six years. So is it a likelihood that's going to happen? No, but is there a, a good chance that, you know, we could come away with some pretty damn good results at the Olympics? Absolutely. And you have to have that belief in order to even come close. And I think our team has it. Anything's anything is possible at the Olympics. And all the luck going towards Taylor there. Short track speed skating, not one that we've had any guests on, of course, between now and Pyeongchang, but the legendary Charles Hamelin, who of course Colin spoke to way back in the day before Pyeongchang. He is back. Can you believe it? He's already won five Olympic medals and he's about to go to his fifth Olympic Games. He was meant to have retired, I think, before Pyeongchang, yet he's coming back for another Olympics. So his fifth Olympic Games, one of the greatest short track speed skaters of all time. He is absolutely a medal chance and we will be cheering on Charles. And if you want to hear our chat that we had with him several years ago, you can track it down, of course, through our channels. Skeleton, Nick Timmings, Australia's representative in the men's skeleton. And we obviously find out from Nick a little bit about how he's tracking this. One of our most recent interviews, of course, how he's feeling ahead of the Olympics. And, of course, just how him and Jacqueline are feeling. Jacqueline Narricott won a World Cup event very recently, putting her into real contention for an actual medal for Australia to win a medal in skeleton. That would be very... Very, very exciting. So uh, here's Nick's thoughts heading into the Olympics. Heading into the Olympics, obviously, with yourself and Jacqueline. I mean, obviously, Jacqueline's just, you know, won a World Cup event. Great result for her. So, I mean, what is the move between you and her kind of going in, heading into these Olympics? Bit of a tension for you both with how successful you, you've been? And, and do you kind of set yourself targets? Do you set yourself goals going into the Olympics, uh, position, medals, things like that? I think the first goal was just getting to the Olympics. Like so many athletes are going down with COVID and not being able to do some races and yeah, um, getting, getting around like different countries. So I think our goal um, before the actual last qualifying race was to get all the races in, like get us in a good standing um, to be able to qualify the sport. And now that we've got it, I think we can reassess our goals um, for the Olympics, but I'll have to speak to my coach and uh, yeah, just we'll, we'll do some homework and that. And then, uh, after training's finished, I think we can really assess where where the goal for the positioning will be at the Olympics. Um, but yeah, like I said, just just because of COVID, I think getting to this point and staying healthy was, was like the major and a very big win. You mentioned Lucy before, the other Western Australian skeleton athlete. She finished 17th in 2014. Best result by a male skeleton racer was from John Farrow back in Sochi, also 17th. So I'm just trying to just see here that if we can go at least for 16th, that would be pretty good. Uh, Emma's got the record at 10th. So, you know, I'm just trying to put a bit of pressure on you and Jacqueline's shoulders here a bit. But, you know, we always like to top previous results. So just think 17th or better or 10th or better. And then then you, you come home and then boom, it's been a great result. Yeah, all right. I'll aim for that 17th and that'll be, that'll be my target. Yes, exactly. Perfect. I like that. The, the track itself, which looks amazing, you've got a 360-degree turn, which I believe is the longest in the world, goes under a hotel, and there's sort of inclines and declines, kind of almost looks like a Mario Kart track. I mean, have you ever seen a track like this? Can this be compared to anything 
at all? And how much are you looking forward to kind of going out there in anger and competing on this track in Beijing? Yeah, so I haven't actually seen it in person. I've only seen video and photos of it. I wasn't able to get to the test event in October just because of costs involved and COVID. But um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this track. It, I've heard that it's very challenging, which is kind of up my alley and yeah, which is what I enjoy. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely, definitely excited to get out there and uh, yeah, see it for myself. We've been very fortunate to interview athletes from every single Winter Olympic sport. And the one that took us a while to get there was ski jumping. And then as soon as we opened the floodgates, we had so many ski jumpers on. It was fantastic. But three of our guests that we've had on from ski jumping have qualified for the Olympics. And they were all fantastic chats, ones that I highly recommend going back to and listening. Ali Ludit was our first that we had on the show, and she is going to the Olympics from Canada. And in this chat, you'll hear a little bit about, at the time of interviewing her, of course, she pretty much knew she was going, barring an absolute disaster in the World Cup season. But of course, she secured that spot. And going into her first Olympics, getting a bit of a mindset about how she was feeling going into what was pretty much a guaranteed qualification for her. So just to clarify... So you've qualified, you're officially going to Beijing. Can we say that? So I have a provisional qualification. So uh, we can qualify and qualification, like the quota list can change up until, oh God, I think it's January like 15th or 16th. So uh, I have a bit of time, uh, but I like remember when my coach told me that I had like a spot and it was like, I've been, my jumping had improved drastically. So like I had my first top 20 finish on the world stage. So that was like a huge thing for me. I wasn't actually happy with my jumping that day. I was happy that I was unhappy with my jumping, right? Cause you know, it means a step in the right direction. I can finish in the like toughest competition of the season in the top 20 and be unhappy with my jumps. It's, it's a sign that I'm moving in the right direction and I'm making steps forward. Even if they're right. baby steps, it's a step. And so I was like, I was actually like on the verge of tears. I was so upset. I was like, I could have done better. Like I just, that wasn't enough. Like, I know I like finished in a good spot. Like I don't even want to look at where I finished, but like, I just, I'm not happy with that. And so I was actually like 14th or 15th after first round. And so I was like super upset. My second jump wasn't very good. And I was just like sitting alone in the change room. I was just like, so bummed and like I hear the like click of the radio and it's like and it's like my coach comes in like Miss Alexandria and I'm like yeah and he's like congratulations I'm like what for and I'm like on the verge of tears there's like a tear like like flying up in my eye and I'm like what is it Yonko Yonko's my head coach and he's like you lady qualified for the Olympics and I just like start like crying I was like so happy I was so like I was just so overwhelmed with emotion it's like you know that like thing I've wanted to do my entire life it just happened it's like I don't even know how to react like I'm just so excited and I'm still upset that my jumps were crappy and I'm just excited to be here and I'm just don't know what to do I'm so overwhelmed with everything and it's like holy crap because it's that it's that moment i always love learning from our guests that moment when they realize they're going to the olympics and i think off the top of my head tom o'halloran australian sports climber might be the only athlete we've had on ahead of their first olympics they've never been to one and kind of it's that that mindset which you're kind of in that euphoric but competitive mindset where you obviously still need to tick the boxes to make sure you're on that 
yeah. plane, but so, you're basically there. So like that must be a weird yeah, mindset to like, kind of be in. It is. It's, you know, it's kind of working forward. So I've got some pretty ambitious goals, but I have to take them one step at a time and like kind of, you know, I need to take a moment sometimes. And I, what works best for me to have results turn out is not thinking about the results because they don't like, you can't do anything about them. If that's all you're thinking about, you can't do anything about them after they happen. They're just there, you know, you got to live with them and it's something that you can be proud of. And it's something you can be upset about, but it's nothing you can worry about. Yeah. And so, you know, I focus on what I need to do. I need to feel. And so I, and my um, mental coach tell me feel, don't think. And that is something that stuck with me and it's really changed my jumping because, you know, you know, you're thinking about those outcomes. You're thinking about how you want things to turn out. You're like in like just generally in jumping too. It's like, I want my timing to be better. It's not, I feel on top. And when I feel on top, my jumping, like I hit the takeoff at the right time. I'm more powerful. I'm this and this and this, because when you learn those feelings and you learn what those feelings are, you become very technically uh, proficient and you become super strong all around, like not just physically strong, but you know, that mental strength is a huge component of our sport. Ali's teammate, Abigail Strait, also going to the Olympics and similar string of questions, of course, how she was feeling going into the games, the prospects of the Olympics and everything else in between. Tell us how you're feeling right now, kind of as you're going into this season in terms of your form, your mentality. I mean, how are you thinking Beijing is? Is this completely realistic for you and is this just purely right now my mind Beijing Olympics this is going to happen for me I yeah I feel really good right now I mean I've I've been training training really hard I've been I've taken a lot of jumps this summer and I've prepared really well um I think I also got some good results this summer so I have a currently have a spot at Beijing I just have to kind of keep up my streak through the winter and hold on to it. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident and yeah, I'm looking forward to, to see what the winter brings. Which is, it must be again, it's, I, I love learning from our winter athletes of the uniqueness about winter sports and qualifying, because not only does it come down to those spots we're talking about before, but like you're literally weeks away from Beijing and you still don't a hundred percent know, like so many of our summer athletes, they qualify a year before the Olympics. Like they know mm-hmm. they're going, but it's just fascinating. And as you were saying, you've basically got that spot, but it's just basically a case of now doing what you're doing, not getting injured, not fucking up and just kind of doing what you're doing. Right. Which again, it, I can imagine it's a 50, 50 either way. Like it's a great feeling, to know that you just keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be there. But also the case of, oh, like, okay, just let's make it 100% happen and not knowing until right before the games, essentially. Yeah, exactly. I'm still, I'm still like hesitant telling people. I'm like, oh, but if it were to not happen, I would be crushed. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I, I just got to keep, keep focusing on, you know, what on ski jumping and what I have to be doing each competition to keep my results good and yeah it'll work it'll work just if i do that lots of soccer balls and volleyballs i'm imagining just kind of to, yeah. to keep kind of that that mindset just on the journal you mentioned the journal and obviously i don't want to ask a person their private entries in in a journal but i mean is it is it really 
more on the technical aspects or kind of keeping things that a coach maybe says to you at one point? Or, I mean, or can you do other things? I mean, Nicola McDermott, an Australian uh, high jumper, got very well known during Tokyo. She won the silver medal, but every jump she would be writing in a journal and kind of, you know, all aspects of things like that. But do you do other things in it besides just sort of the technicalities or the sports-based things, like maybe write down a little poem or something like that that kind of helps you, things like that? Uh, no poems, no poems for me, but I, I definitely just, I don't know. I, I really just ramble. Like I'll, if I feel like there's something on my mind, I just write it down. So that can be anything from just like, you know, what I did that day, how I'm feeling, if I have an idea or if I have like some random inspirational thought that comes to me, I'll write it down. I do a lot of, uh, like to do lists in there. It just kind of depends on feeling. I like I like the I like writing. I like having a pen in my hand and writing down. So just whenever whenever I'm bored, honestly, I just kind of sit there writing stuff. Right. Whatever comes to mind. So I'm seeing Beijing in between jumps. You'll be like going, okay, did well, uh, form good, awesome. Oh, Australian podcast off the podium. Contact Australia re ski jumping. Okay, got it. There you go. It just hit you in the yeah. Olympics. I mean, that's that's perfect timing for it, right? exactly yep for sure yeah i just i'm just giving you these ideas right abby just to kind of really make sure that you kind of you you go through that with everything like along those lines our third and final ski jumper you are going to hear from today is casey larson from team usa his second olympics and this was a fun chat in the fact that i always like digging through the stat books to see how many medals a country has won in certain sports. When you think of Team USA, you think they win everything, right? America just wins everything in every sport. Ski jumping is a sport where there's a bit of a drought for them winning an Olympic medal, as you will hear me bring up right now with Casey. Now, I I, I digged around. I wanted to say, had the States ever won a medal in, in ski jumping? And I, I learned that you have won in 1924 a bronze from Anders Haugen. So on that... How close are the states to breaking this? This is nearly a hundred year drought, Casey, without a without a medal in the sport. Are, are we close? I might, you know, maybe I'll wait till twenty twenty. Uh, what would it be, twenty twenty six, just so I can be like the Cubs? But uh, <laughs> for the most part, um, no. I think it, we got we got a fourth place in nineteen um, in Yugo in Sarajevo. Uh, mm-hmm. So since then, no, we we've kind of been struggling to kind of get back to that point and. Uh, I'm not going to try and predict the future, but I mean, it's looking good. I mean, we, we got, we got a really young team. So for the next, you know, I'm 22 and I'm one of the, one of the old guys and Kevin Bickner, my, one of my teammates, he's what he's, he's 24. So he's the oldest one on the team. So, I mean, you can imagine everybody else is younger and we're really just looking forward to uh, kind of keeping the sport alive and, and making sure that, you know, like I said, 2026 20, or 2030. And there's so much time that as an athlete, my career could, it could extend to that point. So I'm not going to, you know, say that, hey, I'm going to be the best in the world this winter. But at the same time, you know, that that doesn't mean in four years I won't be and my teammates won't be. So, yeah, I think we're close enough that uh, hopefully in the next next couple of ones, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Which, which, what would that mean to the sport? Because, you know, again, as an outsider, I look at the U.S. as this, you know, massive Olympic country that dominates in every single sport. But there are obviously sports where kind of, you know, you have something like this where you haven't won a medal. I mean, I look at curling from 2018 when the U.S. won the gold, how big that has obviously been for the sport in that country. But what would even just any color medal mean to the sport, do you think, kind of moving forward? It means so much. I mean, we aren't right now. USA Nordic is as an organization. We aren't supported by U.S. ski team. We aren't supported by the U.S. Olympic Committee right now. 
Uh, we don't get any government funding. So we're kind of making everything, making everything happen ourselves. And as athletes, that puts a lot of strain on us because the better the results, the, the better, the more we get. So um, kind of looking forward. It's, it's super important to us just to keep the sport alive and, you know, keep, keep kids wanting to come out and try this wacky niche sport in the United States. That's, you know, one of the biggest winter sports out in Europe. I mean, you know, we fill up stadiums, 40,000 strong uh, before COVID. So um, for me as an athlete, I just want to like show how cool the sport can be to the United States. And I think if an Olympic medal is going to do that, then that's what we got to do. Nearly a hundred years without a medal for Team USA in ski jumping. Can it be broken? These Olympics stay tuned. Our last athlete from the Olympics we will hear from right now before we get to our Paralympian, Josie Bath from snowboarding as we move here into snowboarding. Of course, uh, gold medalist in the Youth Olympics back in 2020 and has made the team so excited for Josie. She's still so very, very young. And we spoke to her just ahead of of the World Cup season, how she was tracking and how she thought her chances were of qualifying for her first senior Olympics. How are you feeling right now, just just ahead, of course, of this World Cup season and getting closer to your goal of, of making the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of overwhelming when I think about it too much. I'm just kind of going with the flow one step at a time, like one day at a time and just trying to think of all the things that I do know how to do. And I think back on like the preparation that I had before coming here and it's significantly better than what I had last year. So I can only be improving, which is promising. But um, when I think about it too much, I do get a little bit overwhelmed for sure. But I'm really mostly just excited to see what happens and see how everything goes and get some of the anticipation over because we're leaving for our first World Cup in China, which is the test event. So the course will be pretty similar to the games. And we're leaving in like just under two weeks. So that'll be, that'll be very exciting. Um, but it's definitely a lot. For sure. And, and how does yeah. then the process work for qualification? Because I know it's obviously different for certain winter mm -hmm. sports. There's, there's quotas that you've got to achieve and then you get selected for those quotas. But mm -hmm. the snowboard across, how does that work during this World Cup season to get you and, and Belle and the team and everybody to Beijing? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be in the top 30 of the girls on the Olympic quota list and um, to do that you have to compete in World Cups and gain points but I haven't actually looked into like what exactly I have to do because honestly I'd rather not know because for me I'm going to do my best no matter what like I'm always going to try my hardest so I don't want to put pressure on getting like specific results to make it and I'm just going to take that pressure off by not knowing and then finding out when I have. Great, great sort of attitude. So that it'll yeah. just be a gentle tap on the shoulder and basically be like, oh, Josie, great run today. By the way, you've qualified for yeah. the Olympics. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping is going to happen. <laughs> just a gentle, nice little news you'll yeah. sort of get there. We wish Josie all the best of luck. And again, senior Olympics, is that really the right thing to say? It's always, you know, you don't want to say normal Olympics or anything compared to the youth Olympics, I guess, just the... Uh, the regular Olympics, essentially. We'll mention that when it comes to snowboarding as well, Belle Brockhoff in the snowboard cross will be competing against her teammate there, Josie Baff. And a real medal chance, Belle. We had her back on before Pyeongchang as well. So, uh, again, similar thing. We won't be playing a clip from her interview. Go back and listen to that. It was a great chat with Belle and always one of the faces of our Olympic team. And she definitely is in with a real shot of getting herself a medal. Medal. Now, our last guest you are going to hear from today, a Paralympian, obviously not going to be competing in the next two weeks, but when the Paralympics start in a few weeks, he will be there. Jack Wallace from Team USA in the sledge hockey, reigning gold medalist, and another real prospect of uh, taking home a gold. Could he be the first 
off the podium guest to win a gold medal after coming on the show. We'll see if we fail with any of the athletes we just heard of going in to the Beijing Olympics. It's all on Jack's shoulders. But a fun chat with Jack. We talk a little bit here about his uh, previous gold medal win back in Pyeongchang and a few other great things here too. Jack Wallace, Team USA sledge hockey player. I, I just I just wanted to add, I'm just seeing here that the day of the gold medal win was my birthday. So you're welcome to have the luck of the day that I was born to win that gold jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Around then. So, um, no, you are absolutely welcome. You can take that luck and ride. I appreciate it. that. Thank you so much. It's not going to fall on St. Patrick's Day this year, though, is it? <laughs> no. It might. No. Honestly, we, we're not sure. The Paralympics start on March 4th. Uh, the Winter Paralympics start on March 4th next year. So it's decent chance that it might do it again. might happen again. But... Probably not. Might be a little later in March. And I'm guessing uh, you, you probably are already, you know, that you're on the team, but, but uh, are there any change-ups that could still happen or do you know at this point, okay, you're going to Beijing? Uh, yeah, no. So the roster was uh, selected for this season, but it's a 20 man roster and we have to cut down to 17. Uh, so I was lucky enough, well, not lucky enough, but I, I injured my wrist in the world championships back in June and I did not participate in tryouts, but the coaches, they had no issue, you know, giving me a waiver and waving me into the roster for this season because everyone on the team only has a one-year contract and you, you know, have to try out and, and you need to be able to be at that high level to make the team the next year. So hopefully by the time October runs around, rolls around uh, when we have our first training camp. It's basically the, the tryouts round two uh, where we have a week training camp and then they cut three players. Hopefully I'm not one of those players. I don't think I'm going to be one of those players. I've played a lot of minutes for this team in the past few tournaments and uh, I'm, I'm confident that I won't be, but I mean, you never know. Things change. So you always got to be training like you're one of those guys on the outside. One thing that I always love when it comes to any sort of Paralympic sport, and particularly, you know, they've had some documentaries in the past about sports, say like, like murder ball and, you know, kind of like, you know, the wheelchair rugby, the wheelchair basketball was just, it's the attitude of the athletes where it's, it's so rough and tumble because it's basically, look, hey, you know, we're obviously in this unique situation. We're playing this type of sport, but hey, I've, I've gone through worse, you know, let's go out there and kind of give it their all. I mean, does that make sled hockey even more crazy and physical than standing hockey. And I mean, is this a sport that kind of when it comes to the winter Olympics that people should really be just be paying more attention because it is just such a, I mean, I, I've seen it. It is such an entertaining sport to watch, but is that how you would sell it to somebody who maybe has never watched sled hockey? You like stand up hockey, take this on board and see how uh, more be- much more fun and better it is. Yeah. So, I mean, sled hockey is just as fast and just as physical as all these other sports, uh, especially stand-up hockey. I mean, it brings the same level of intensity to stand-up ice hockey. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, there's a huge aspect to it that a lot of people might miss that, you know, every single guy on every team has something that they can connect with each other and, you know, went through a really dark period in their life, whether or not that was a disease, whether or not that was um, uh, getting injured in the service of their country or just a traumatic accident like I had, um, you know, all those things, it, it, you know, it, it, it can be a fuel for a lot of people. And as far as anyone on this team, it definitely is. Uh, so it brings just a next another level of intensity. You're absolutely right. Great chat there with Jack. Thoroughly recommend that chat as well. And, of course, the uh, Paralympics following a few weeks after the Olympics. And we will be back to do a review episode of the Paralympics, just like we did with Tokyo, of course, our first time we'd ever done a Paralympic-specific episode. So we will be doing that as well. But as you know... 
The Olympics are here. They're tomorrow, 24 hours away. So you've listened to this episode on the same day, a few hours after this one. If you're listening to this at the moment, it's been released. Wait a couple of hours and you'll be able to hear our full preview episode. Myself, Colin and Jared will be sitting down, previewing everything, our most in-depth preview ever of an Olympic Games. We're so excited. A couple of new things that you'll get pumped for during these Olympic Games that we're so glad to be able to bring you. And then it gets busy every single day. We're going to have a review, of course, that starts to the close, uh, the opening ceremony, not the closing ceremony, not quite there yet, Ben, uh, tomorrow night. Fingers crossed that we get a good opening ceremony. You'll hear us talk a little bit more about that in the preview episode, but so much to cover here. And if you want to stay up to date with everything off the podium related you can of course track us on social media instagram twitter facebook we are on there subscribe to the show on all the good podcast platforms spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, amazon Podcasts. you name it we're on there iHeartRadio, all the big ones find us on there hit subscribe you won't miss a single episode we'd love to hear your feedback if you've got any questions comments anything throughout the Olympics that you want us to talk about, by all means, send us a message on social media, comment on our shows on these platforms. We love hearing from you. And if you love the show and you want to support us even more, nominate, well, not nominate, we're already nominated, vote for us in the Sports Podcast Awards. You hear it at the beginning of this episode, at the end of this episode, you're probably sick of it. We're going to keep tagging it all the way because, again, at the time of recording this, we're leading, so we're going to keep maintaining our lead. We are up for the best Olympic and Paralympic podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards, and all you have to do is log on to sportspodcastawards.com, sign up, click on the Paralympic and Olympic podcast section, click on us, vote for us, Boom, done, simple. That's how you can vote for us. Help us maintain that lead. Voting goes through to March, and uh, we definitely would very much appreciate the vote and uh, helping us along the way. Right now, though, uh, we're, we're, we're just going to we're gonna end this episode. It's pretty simple, really. All of our athletes will be on Team OTP, 25 of them. We're going to be cheering them all the way, and I'm calling it now, famous last words, the drought will be broken we are finally going to come away with a gold medalist having appeared on this show before they went to an Olympics. I'm just saying it right now. It's happening. This is this is happening. We've, we've won. The Winter Olympics, only one bronze. Charles won a bronze back in Pyeongchang, our only winter medalist. But, of course, in Tokyo, a few silvers, a few bronzes. Still yet to have one of our guests win a gold medal. So I'm calling it now. The drought will be broken. Team OTP, our first ever Olympic gold medal bring it on we're pumped thanks for tuning in thanks to all of our guests best of luck to all of them we're cheering for you we're rooting for you you're gonna do it go team otp until we next speak again my name is ben shout out to jason momoa and until next time i just said that until a few hours when you listen to our preview episode go left What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, Off the Podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here. 
because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm really going to go now. Bye.